episode is a lesson in sustainable drinking with Elliot Scarley, the founder of Not Wasted. We chat about how to decipher the lingo, like what the fuck is a pet nat? And is skin contact the same as orange wine? Plus how to understand a wine list, how to impress someone with a food pairing, and how to generally drink and understand natural wine like you know what you're doing. Plus notes on sustainable drinking with some non-alcoholic options too. Enjoy. <laughs> okay. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name's Elliot and I am I run Not Wasted Wine and we are a online boutique natural wine store. Um, yeah. Love it. Okay, so you're the perfect person for us to ask. Um, Natty wine has become the norm in some circles. What do you want people to know about the category and do you think that some people are giving it a bit of a bad name? Uh, yeah, Natty wine. I mean, Natty wines definitely have exploded, the, well, at least the, the term and, and the category has exploded um, in certain markets over the last uh, few years. And it's been super interesting and fun. And I think the category is like a lot of fun. It's full of flavor. It's refreshing. It's like uplifting. It's like all these things that um, those coming into like the drinking age, like a younger demographic are can sort of resonate with um, where they might've like, you know, grown up around wine and not really enjoyed it, found it a bit serious with their parents or whatnot. And I think natty natural wines can provide a bit of like a change to that. Um, but I think it also has developed because of people's renewed like focus on organics and like um, values around like the, the value we place around food, which has changed significantly in the last 20 years. And I think wine's following that direction where it's like people want to know where it's come from the farm. It's it brought up in, you know, how is it, or, is it organic? Like um, they even want to know who made it, you know, more about them. And I think that that's why natural wine has become, had such a place now. Um, now, I guess there is no regulation or certification of that term. So it's a, it can get a little bit, um, what's the controversial. So a lot of people who are new to winemaking or they just want to join in that sort of trend can often use the term, even though they might not be like living up to what it should be. And there's a common consensus across um, some of the top people in the natural wine making. So across Europe, those in the US and Australia, and they all, those who've been doing it for a long time and who really understand it, want to live true to it, um, want it to be like, you know, the grapes have to be organic biodynamic and there should be no intervention during the winemaking process. Nothing should be added apart from small amounts of sulfur at bottling. And you were talking like marginal amounts, you know, one fifth of one hundredth so of that of a conventional wine. Um, and so that's a common definition is like the grapes should be organic or biodynamically um, cared for, brought up, and then there should be no intervention during the winemaking process. And I think like there are values around that. It's, it's the winemakers who are really into producing wines that reflect a place and a time are, are the are the good natural winemakers because they understand that each year is different, each mm -hmm. vintage should be different. But for many years, you know, 
we've had wine houses produce wines that taste the same year on year because mm. they they understand what is popular and what will sell whereas these new modern winemakers um yeah they want it to reflect a dry year um a cold year a wet year um they want it to reflect the soils that it's grown in you know if they've if they've sourced like some grapes that are grown in super you know calcium rich soil like the wine should reflect that um and i think that's really important that's what comes back to to natural wines mm-hmm. but i just want to ask you what's your background and why did you want to get into this my background is not in wine <laughs> so i'm not not i wasn't a not sommelier i didn't study wine making um i my background is in um, more like commerce like economics is what i studied at university and then went on to work um for telstra in their sort of big data area for many years doing like essentially commercializing their big data on, on people on location data and things like that so very very different to what we're doing now but i've been like appreciative of natural wines for many years now and it was something i was passionate about so when i was like moving in that transition phase between my old job i didn't really know where i wanted to head and i thought this would be something fun and something i'm interested in and it was a growing category that could use a bit more like transparency and emphasis around sustainability because that's what these winemakers were producing but you know down the other end of the supply chain when you actually get to a retailer they weren't so concerned about um that notion like they didn't really want to talk about it that much there wasn't much transparency around like def- as you say definition of natural wines and that so i just thought it could use a bit of a um a, 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 an elevation in terms mm-hmm. of that level of transparency and sustainability. Mm. So essentially, I think you touched on it a little bit already, but what is the difference between natural wine and the normal conventional wines? Okay, we'll start with conventional wines. So conventional wines, you may be um, growing grapes conventionally. Um, I, you have like you're in an area that may be subject to mildew every year or some sort of disease that you want to fight against and you the person might not be skilled or have learned how to do that um using their surroundings or like a natural process um in a biodynamic or organic way so the grapes are grown conventionally um they may be that you can have organic wines uh, sorry conventional wines that have organic grapes but they may be like imported yeast into the wine so they may want it to taste a certain way like you want your chardonnay really buttery and so you know that your grapes, the yeast that you harvest your grapes with, don't have that profile. So you, you know, bomb the grapes with sulfur to kill all the yeast that was on the grapes when you harvested them. And you import a, a Chardonnay yeast from somewhere in France to get that profile. So that's intervening after you've harvested the grapes. So it's not regarded as natural. Yeah. Um, some others may, you know, they may filter their wines to get it really pristine and clear. That's not considered natural um and then the amount of sulfur as i touched on before during the process and also at bottling um a lot of winemakers don't want the risk of spoilage especially if they're using they're producing at scale which is fair enough Mm. and and it's their livelihood so you know they'll want to they want to preserve the wines indefinitely so they add quite a bit of sulfur at bottling Mm. natural wines on the other hand it's again not a term that's like regulated or certified which is it's quite annoying and can be frustrating but it should be a wine that where the grapes have been um, grown organically or biodynamically and there's no intervention um, so nothing added or taken away during the winemaking process Um, so there are ways to you know 
naturally filter your wines if you want to, to, to get rid, rid of quite a bit of sediment or if you've kept them um, on their lees, which is the dead yeast in the bottle. There are natural ways of filtering the wine. Um, and there is accepted that in natural wines, you can add small amounts of sulfur at bottling mm. if you think your wine is subject to spoil. So but we're talking, you know, five milligrams per thousand litres um, as opposed to, you know, 100 or 300 milligrams um, per litre. So it should be per litre, not per thousand litres. So there's a huge difference in the amount of sulphur. And, I mean, some some people believe they're, like, allergic to sulphur or bad reactions to it. So you can, you know, like some people react really badly if a wine's got too much sulphur in it. Yeah. Um, So you do see that sometimes. Right. Yeah, you can have those, like, meds that you take before you drink wine or something that's meant to, like, not give you a hangover the next day if you're allergic to sulphur. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And... Is that the same as the – is that what makes people flush as well? No, I no. think that might be – I don't know. I think that might be a reaction – some people might have a reaction to alcohol or it yeah. might be oh. a reaction to the yeast. Right. Or, yeah, I'm not sure. Interesting. But, yeah, natural wine is essentially living. Like that's the difference. If you haven't tampered with it throughout that process, if you haven't sulfured it, like they call – that's why they call it living mm-hmm. wines because it does have that risk of spoilage if it's exposed to – you know, volatile. If you keep it in a room that goes from 16 degrees to 30 degrees, you may get spoilage of the wine. Um, but there are, again, natural ways to protect your wine from spo- spoilage. So um, a lot of the winemakers press the grapes and the stems together. So it's called, the term is whole bunch pressed. And we can cover this more detail if you want, <laughs> but the, there's like small amounts of like carbon um, dioxide in the stems mm. of the grapes and you you don't really notice it when you're drinking or you can notice a slight like effervescence sometimes in your still wine from natural wines. And this can often be used to like protect the wine a bit more during, cause it's like a bit of carbon dioxide naturally in the wine puts like outward pressure from inside the bottle outwards. Right. So it stops like too much like oxygen mm. coming in as well. So the wine, so the wine doesn't oxidate. So there's other techniques like that that can be used to, mm. to help the wine as well. And if your wine is naturally more acidic, um, that will will naturally help protect the wine. Mm. On that note, is there a certain way that you should store your wine at home or like a certain use-by date that you should drink them? Yeah, there is a bit of a misconception that natural wines will expire. expire, And uh, it's not like it's not true at all and I haven't experienced it. And... There are some winemakers like James Erskine from Joma Wine who is now going to start advocating more of like ageing natural wines and he's kept wines from 2013, I think he said, that he wants to take around Australia and show people how well they age. So the the most important thing is to keep it in a relatively stable temperature so, you know, not exposed to like not in your like garden shed that heats up to you know hotter than outside air temperature during summer so you know just a normal room temperature should be fine i mean if you have a yeah preferably out of out of like direct light to stop that like heating up but you know you don't need a cellar or anything that maintains a temperature of like 16 to 18 degrees so that's that's ideal um to like slow down that aging process but it's not necessary i think i'm even one of the people that assumed it goes bad or when I or when I've had a bottle of natural wine for a while and then I open it I smell it because I think it would have gone vinegary 
I don't know what, like I, we've smelled would them that, before. Would that only happen if you've already opened the bottle and then like maybe the, like oh, you come back it. like in a week and gone to drink, drink the rest of it and it's gone like yucky. Mm. But that happens with, that the happens with all the ones. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you can get, once you've opened the wine, it will start oxidizing and right. then it slowly turns into that like vinegar kind of taste. But, and, and it's quite interesting because you can often tell a well-made wine um, from how long it takes well in the natural category in the other category there might be so much like sulfur in it that it ages it it lasts a really long time in, in mm. the fridge but in the natural category you can tell a really well met way made wine from how long it lasts after you've opened it and there's what like there's a pretty cool hack that um a winemaker taught me which is to like if you don't have something to preserve it or cover it remove the oxygen you can breathe into the bottle after Ooh. you've opened it breathe into it i mean this is not good at covid but <laughs> it's your own personal <laughs> bottle <laughs> breathe into the wine and then just put some cling wrap over it so that there's no air going in and that like from your breath the carbon like sits as a top layer and slows down like That's the oxidation oh, process i'm definitely doing that me too so i've had a wine and i had a wine in the fridge for like a week and a week and a bit and it still tasted really good did you do that yeah <laughs> and just with cling wrap you didn't put a stopper in or anything? just with cling wrap yeah no. okay not very sustainable i shouldn't like yeah. beeswax if you <laughs> yeah, have yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> I love that. I mean, did you want to talk a bit about the oh. smell of the wine? Because sometimes you said you notice that you can you goes, often smell a wine. Yeah. I mean, I always, yeah, I always do, even if it's a freshly opened bottle, smell it because we're used to natural wines being a bit more funky or like having more sediment. Yeah. Tasting more funky. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there's like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird area because if something smell, if a wine smells funky, there could be something not wrong with it, but there could be something that's like a little bit faulty with the wine, and that's still nice to drink, but it might give off bad odor. For example, there's something called VA, which is a volatile acidity. Whereas, like, you've just got a super acidic wine, and the winemaker might not have done anything wrong, but it's the grapes or the time or, or the vintage or whatever it is, and that the certain the acids have the various types of acids the wine have combined in a certain way to give off this. Mm. but sort of funny odor and it may taste a little bit like wow in your mouth there's also something called brett which is short for bretanomyces see i'm not good at the pronouncing so brett it's like a form of um it's a bacteria essentially a bacteria that can be imported from into the cellar just happens because it was on your grapes a certain vintage and then it can spread it can stick to your like um the oak barrels it can stick to your tanks um can just stick to the walls of your of your cellar or your shed or wherever you're making wine it can be really hard to get rid of and so sometimes when you open a wine you get that barnyard smell i like that though yeah some people like it sometimes it reminds me of like italian like really earthy italian wines and i'm like yeah "Yeah, rustic kind of vibe (laughs) And like, yeah, people like that. And it's nothing wrong with the wine. It shouldn't affect the taste of the wine. But right. that's another thing that can affect the smell. Right. And some people don't care. Like some winemakers have Brett all over their, um, oh. their shed and they, they don't mind because, yeah, it adds a bit of a barnyard smell but doesn't affect the, the taste of the wine. Oh, that's okay. really interesting. Hmm. Okay. Some people don't like to be told. I don't think some, some <laughs> don't like to be told that they've got Brett in their wine as well. So, yeah, right. so don't, if you're with a winemaker, they're like, oh, like there's a bit of Brett in this yeah, wine. I can smell that you clearly have Brett in your <laughs> do you find like obviously winemakers are creative types and 
are they like quite sensitive to their creations? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I've never said I've never said a bad thing about a wine to a winemaker. So yeah. I don't know what the reaction would be like. But yeah, I, I, they all seem very, you know, they're all well the ones we work with are very very passionate about yeah. what they do. Cuz it's it's a hard fucking job. Like yeah. people really think hard. that it's quite glamorous and also to like, get to the end product it's it's a labor of love and it would have taken them and it's back for it to not come out the way they want it to. Especially when you're like more hands-off so you literally have like no control over the end product and you're pouring your whole life into it essentially. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's enormous task and like there's a lot of things that can go wrong because there's a lot of handling of the wine along the way and if you don't if you take too long on a certain step like you know you, your tanks aren't ready or like something's not ready in the wine and the wine has to sit there in a, like in a certain state Mm. can affect the taste of the wine mm. so everything like they have to be super you know on top of it they're very like intuitive so if you've got you know if you don't if you've got a few different varieties that you've harvested or you've sourced from somewhere if you're not growing them you know you might not want to just just serve the one wine like the you know Gwertz Traminar by itself because it's too intense and so knowing like how much to blend with another right. variety at that certain time is very intuitive. As it's, that's one example of like making decisions on the fly that will affect the end product. Mm. Yeah. And that is an art in itself, you know, like yeah. it's, it's the same as an artist who's like doing a painting. It's like what, you know, you're making decisions along the way that's going to affect the end product that you have to back yourself. Mm. And, you know, the end product is what shows you know the the how those decisions have come together in mm. a really good way or sometimes you know haven't pulled it off that well and some people it just takes years to refine that some have like got it really quickly because they've been like super into it yeah. and studied it and you know passionate about it or they just have that natural hand but i definitely think it's something that people get better with over time yeah mm. becomes intuition yeah all right so let's get into the categories so i think Orange wine is probably like one of the most popular like terms if you talk about natural wine um, and you're seeing it on menus and whatnot now. Yep. So what what is it? Yeah, it, it is it is like a trendy kind of mm. thing, orange wine. And I think a lot of people who who talk about it like the notion of it don't actually, yeah, might not know what it is. And it's essentially um, a skin contact wine, if you've heard that term. So skin contact orange use like interchangeably um during when once you've harvested the grapes once the winemakers harvested the grapes there's a just you know traditionally for certain types of wines you'd want the wine super clear so traditionally for white grapes you would just press the juice out of the grapes and throw away the skins and the stems so you can imagine like biting into a grape you get the skin and you also get the juice of that um, now winemakers, well, it, it's a real ancient technique that they used to do in like, you know, before, well before when winemaking began, which is like to use, and you do it for red wine as well. So I'm jumping around a bit, but red wine is red because the colour from the skins of the grape has right. seeped into the juice right. because they've let the, the juice and the skin sit together for a certain amount of time during that fermentation or the maceration. So an orange wine is essentially taking a white grape and doing that with the skins letting the phenolics and the colour and the flavour from the grape skin seep into the wine. Right. And straight away, you know, people haven't tasted those profiles 
before and they're so like wowed by it because it's still has those like characteristics of that of the white grape that you might be used to but now it's got this like enhanced flavor um this cool color it's cloudy it can be quite textural like you know terms to describe like chewy or um things like that which just take it to another level and have created its own category um but there are now a lot of you know depending on how long you leave it on the skins can determine how rich the, the wine becomes as an orange wine so you can get wines that still look white not orange maybe a little bit cloudy because they've actually used a bit of skin contact just to slightly elevate like the flavor but not turn it into a, an orange wine mm. and you get a lot, a lot of natural winemakers doing that because it first of all it's a waste to throw away the skins yeah. there's so much flavor and there's so much color and goodness inside that um and then it, it and then secondly it does wonders for your wine like it it brings it to another level yeah. mm. So essentially an orange wine and a skin contact are the same thing. Same thing. Yeah. Okay. Mm. You can get you can get wines that are they call orange that are might be a blend of a skin contact white or a no skin contact white with a red. Right. So there may be like some leftover um Syrah that a winemaker has and he's also got a I don't know, a Chardonnay or Sauvignon Blanc and he might blend the two together and that might create, you know, an orangey profile, but it's just a blend of of those twos of those two so there's different ways of making uh like skin contact wine or an or an orange wine but essentially it is just the use of the skins of a white grape to produce you know mm-hmm. a skin contact okay wine. makes sense yeah it's good it gets tinted <laughs> um can you talk i've been loving listening to you talk about wine <laughs> but can you talk us through some other common wine jargon and wine talk what they all mean because I still don't know even what a pet nat is and yet we Kirsten and I go to a restaurant she's like we'll just get a pet nat I was like yeah we'll get a pet nat <laughs> <laughs> no I don't like pet nat oh yeah. well, I don't know why, why don't you like them like I just would prefer if I was going to drink something fizzy I'd prefer to just get like a champagne okay right so, so is that what know, it is the fizz like, yeah yeah so there's there. It's funny that we can we can go into like what is the difference between sparkling wine and champagne because sparkling wine's shit. Sorry, but there's no, like it's just a term. There actually could be no difference yeah. between a sparkling and a champagne, except for oh, champagne has to be from the area yes. of champagne, and it has to be made in a certain method. But you can get people making sparkling wine, for instance, in Australia, who followed that method of mm. making champagne. We just can't call it that. But we can come back to that. A pet nap. Um, it's a shortened form of petulant natural, which is like a French term um, for an old, like really ancient winemaking technique. So it's actually a really, really old method. And there's even regions in France that have um, legalized the term. They've like appellations where um, I can't remember what it's similar to petulant natural. I can't remember the exact term, but they can, they're legally the only ones allowed to use that term. And it's this Mm. method where you essentially finish the fermentation of the wine in the bottle. Um, Do you know, do you know how a wine ferments is essentially like you have the yeast, which sits on the outside of the grape after you've harvested, and then you might press them, you know, press it to get the juice out and leave it to what they say to ferment. So the sugars from the grapes, from the grape juice and if there's sugars in the skins, we'll use the, the, the yeast 
or the yeast will eat the sugar. Mm-hmm. And during that process, there's carbon dioxide that's given off mm-hmm. because as the yeast eat the sugar, they naturally give off that CO2. Normally that process is done in, in like a tank, you know, say for example, stainless steel tank, or they might do it in an old, you know, open top um, barrel made of wood. Um, but for a pet nat, they let that process start and then they finish it in the bottle. Right. So that's why you often get, you see the, the yeast or you do get the yeast down the bottom of a pet nap mm-hmm. because that's all the dead yeast. And when that, because you've capped the bottle as that yeast is eating the sugar, it's giving off CO2 and that naturally makes the wine bubbly. Right. Interesting. So it's a really, it's a really delicate and hard process to get right, especially if it's your first time. Cause there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Yeah. If you start, if you bottle it too early, you can have too much CO2. And when you mm. open the wine, it just explodes. Mm-hmm. There are ways to stop that. You can disgorge. So you can open the wine up, you know, maybe three months before release just to release some of that pressure, close it back up again, and then right. you know it's, like, capped at a certain level of CO2 because you've let some off. Right. Some some people don't like to do that, um, but that's essentially what's creating the bubbles. Mm-hmm. And I think people can have bad experiences with pet nuts because they, they, they it's easy to go wrong. Some you can just taste too yeasty. And I don't actually know personally what that's from like where in the process um it's it, it's gone so that it's it's become a yeasty kind of pet now mm. but you know you can get off in those those are like you know too volatile too yeasty but some pet nuts that you try like there are some like really high quality pet nuts and they might not call them that it's just called a sparkling but they follow mm. that method can be really really lovely it's quite confusing isn't it yeah it like overlaps a lot it does yeah it does there's different ways for making bubbles like you you know some people can just um manually pump co2 into the wine to make right. it bubbly you know some big brands it's various methods um the method of making champagne is is a bit different to that um and it's very like manual and labor and time intensive that's why champagne is so expensive because there's a lot of labor that goes into it but some are just the labels mm. you know so what other, are there any other terms? Yeah. Um, I, I, a wine I, jargon. Wine jargon. Macerate. <laughs> yeah, okay. So macerate is where you. <laughs> Mas- what? <laughs> so Sorry, you might have seen like photos of some winemakers like stomping the grapes with their yeah. feet and things like that. That's like letting the maceration, that's initiating the maceration process where you're like, you've got tons and tons of grapes and you just need to like press them and get those juices out and get them surrounding the skins of the grape if you're making red wine or if you're making a skin contact white. Mm. And so that and some you can use manual presses that manually do that rather right. than using your feet. But um that the maceration is where you let the colours and the aromas, the tannins that all sit in the skins of the grapes and you let them leach into the wine through that the, through like a soaking process. So that's if you okay. hear that term. Cool. So some you know, if you go onto our website, for example, we'll talk about like, okay, this wine was macerated for 14 days. Those were left on the skin for 14 days. Some winemakers like take that to the null level. So they'll macerate for like six months. Wow. Especially if it's a really cold environment of which they're fermenting. Because if, you, if you've got a cold environment, your fermentation process will take longer. Right. Um, and so you can afford to leave it, the mm. skin on the skins and it creates this really like rich profile of wine. So say we went on the website and we're looking at one category of wine, so like a white yep. variety, um, and then it says that a maceration period was 
like, I don't know, what's whatever the shortest one is and yeah. then whatever the longest one is, what would be the end profile? Like what's the difference in terms of flavour? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I mean, and it's a hard one for us to decide, like, if, if we were a white wine that has a small period of skin contact, do we put it in the orange category or do we keep it in the yeah. white? Um, like, the, yeah, the lo- generally, I mean, it can vary with the type of grape you're using, but the longer you leave it on skins, the, m- the more richer and darker um, profile you get with a, with a white grape, with a right, white variety. Um, so do you know the famous wine Radicon? No. Okay. Oh, yeah. Radicon is yeah. like a big cult kind yeah. of following because – with a blue label, like, blue label, yeah. yeah. So that's Italian winemaker, and I mean, he, I think he's he's a bit of seen as a pioneer because he was the first person. You know, there's a couple of people to do it, but he was one of the first to start macerating the, his whites in Italy. Right. Okay. Since like ancient times, he sort of started again in the '90s, and they will let their their varieties macerate for three months. I think some of them up to six months. But there are some even like Australian winemakers who now are doing it for like six month um, maceration. So like, I think there's a, there was a Brave New Wine. Do you know Brave mm-hmm. New Wine? Yeah. So one of their oranges I think was macerated for six months, and what you produce is this really dark orange, rich like flavor intense um, wine, and it's perfect to like pair against you know if you're cooking a really oily or rich um, sort of heavy dish, mm-hmm. having that like. Because it produces can often produce quite a lot of acids, like very like crisp and cuts through, cuts through, through a lot of those oils. So, what's the risk in leaving it for longer? There isn't really risk. It's just if you think people like the okay. taste of it or not. Um, so maybe if you left, if you knew that the the variety you're using, the skins are, can get pretty like intense in their flavour if you macerate for too long, you might not leave it for that long. Or you might want it still to have like strong characteristics of the Chardonnay or the whatever whatever it is that you're you're producing. You still want those like characteristics. You don't want to go too avant-garde with mm, it. Yeah. Um, fermentation, we've spoken about yeah, fermented, yes. volatile acidity, VA. Yeah. Yep, we, oh, yes. we talked about brat, macerate. There's any other terms you can they're the main ones that you like people you find in like product descriptions okay. and people talk about them. Okay. It may seem obvious, but how can we figure out what we like? Are there places we can go to for wine education or tastings where they'll take you through the different notes and different make um the way they're made, or do we have to DIY and buy a whole bunch and Yeah, like yes and no. I, I, it's a really good question. There are some places that have masterclasses like PNV in Newtown um, sometimes host like masterclasses on what is natural wine. But um, a lot of places do emphasize winemakers and they have winemakers who are on the road showcasing their new release. So they'll do a taste, like people will do a tasting with these winemakers. And that's great because it showcases the person, showcases the place, showcases the time, you know, that's what you want to do. And it's a good in-depth look at the one winemaker and where they're sourcing the grapes from or their vineyards. But there isn't, you're right, there isn't like a huge offering of places and tastings to go where they show you a breadth of different wines. So dry, heavy body, light bodied, um, fruit forward, all these like different styles of wine and places that you want to see and taste or like, you you know, you've there's a wine from Italy that's grown in super like um, sandstone, limestone soils that have a really unique characteristic. There isn't, you're right, there isn't, oh, place to go to see that breadth right 
um, I think coming into the industry, that's where I noticed straight away is that there, there wasn't a lot of that like education or assistance with like providing a service that can cater to terms that people resonate with when they drink wine. So I mean, we put like little filters on the site that uh, it's called mood. And it's like, um, are you adventurous? You're looking for something adventurous, funky, safe, or in between. So that's meant to be for people who are just coming into natural wines or people who are like really accustomed to it and know how they want, you know, okay, show me, like give me something super funky and like yeah. out there or, you know, give me something that's safe and that has strong characteristics of classical wine, but made in a natural way. Mm. Um, and I think there's other ways to do it as well that we, that everyone can improve on. And it's like coming up with what are those terms that the, the average person who might not know a lot about wine can relate to. Yeah. Um, so, you know, do they want to shop by occasion? Like I'm having a dinner or it's winter or like, uh, you know, there's that, the term park wines. Like, oh, mm. the, the sort of vibe yeah. you want to go is to, into a park on a sunny day. What's the wine for this type of occasion? But I think there's a lot more depth that can go into like, you know, fruit forward versus dry and things like that. Mm. And I think traditionally a lot of places you go to shop at are categorized by country or area, but people don't, don't a lot of no. people don't really know or want to know about that. Like people who have been really into wines might, but there's a lot of people who, who don't have, who don't, might not care about what it's from, but might want to care about what they like. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's definitely a challenge and something like that, yeah, that we're focused on is trying to improve like that experience for people. Mm. But yeah, if we had a space, we would definitely do masterclasses and showcase um, a certain style of winemaking from different winemakers or just a certain breadth of winemakers and or regions um, so you can show people how reflective these wines are of their place. And that way you can talk about a place and the environment that it was in and then you can talk about how that translates to the wine mm. will wines of a certain place or region have or, or all give off same characteristics so if i if i liked a wine from a certain region i would keep i would be able to keep going back to wines from that region like if the bottle shop was categorized by region i could always find something i like in there or are they by region and then in every region there's, you know, the lights, the dries, the... Yeah. Yeah, it's, there are, yes, there will be wines that come from the same place that should have similar characteristics, um, but not necessarily always because you can, you can have two farms in the same area and the area can be quite broad. You know, McLaren Belt is a huge place mm. or like... Mm. Um, there are areas where like, like there's various levels of elevation. So right. you might get, you might have two farms, same inverted commons area, but one's super elevated, gets really cool at night in summer. So the berries don't, oh, like don't go super ripe and you don't get that intense alcohol, like intensive alcohol from overripe berries. You don't get that same big boldness of a fruit that's in the Barossa Valley floor really hot over summer, super overripe, super ripe fruit, um, big bowl, sort of red. Mm. So you can get like wines that vary in the same area, but they should really have quite similar characteristics. Yeah. If there's, if they're on the same soil, if they're at a similar elevation, 
and they're in a similar area and they're the same variety, they should have those same characteristics. Mm. And you can see that with um, certain winemakers might have different varieties, um, but they're all at similar, like, similar areas, similar elevation, similar soil type, and they all t- taste slightly different because they're different grapes, but you, there's like this underlying thread between them all right You're like oh wow i can i can that minerality pokes through in all of them and that's really interesting because you, because that's the characteristics you start to see across vineyards of certain, the same area um just going back to what you were saying about um like i guess kind of like consumer trends or like how people shop for wine and talking about categories have you seen like what's popular can you like Obviously, you can decipher what sells and what doesn't sell, but yep. what's kind of popular in Australia? Yeah. I mean, red reds have always been traditionally popular in Australia. I think there's a lot of Australian red wine drinkers. Um, so I, we like we definitely like sell more reds than, than whites. Really? Yeah. Especially, yeah, especially this time of year. Yeah. Um, it's predominantly reds. But there's not really any one trend towards a category. Uh, there's like people who really like certain winemakers and they'll stick to those winemakers. Um, there are some people who come and shop and they like a certain variety or a certain blend mm-hmm. um, and they're shopping and they're like, oh, yep, I've had that style of blend before and I, I want that, even though it might t- taste different to what they're yeah. used to. Um, but, yeah, I haven't really noticed any one category that performs, okay. yeah, better than, than What's the best way to navigate a wine list? I find like, I mean, sometimes it's easy, but then sometimes you might go into a restaurant and they have like a really extensive wine list and yep. then they've got like all the jargon on there. Mm. Is there certain terms that you should look for or that you should get to know that you like about certain, like if you like a particular wine, get to know the terms about that wine so that when you do you can transfer it over into a wine list. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's the most important point is to know what you like and how to describe that. Yeah, and how to convey that because you like yeah, it can be overwhelming. You get a wine list and you don't know ninety nine percent of the wines, but you know what you like. So I think the best way to navigate that is to know the terms that you know. Do your research into like what am I what like look what other people have been saying about the wine that you're drinking and see if you can resonate with that. So, you know, they might say, oh, this wine's really super fruit forward. It's like, oh, it's really juicy, um, super light, it's crisp. Like whatever whatever those terms are that you like, mm. then to be able to talk to the person at the restaurant, whether it's sommelier or just like a waiter there about what you like, then they'll be able to help you a bit yeah, more. Yeah, because that was mm. going to be my next question. Like I They find, ask you. Yeah, and I find like what? Like if I'm thinking of a particular taste or how like a mouth feel, I find describing that to a song like quite difficult. difficult. Yeah. And then I'm like, are you judging me? Do you think I'm an idiot? Like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard. It's really hard. And I don't have any advice. I'm <laughs> the way I've like picked it up is just by listening to people. And then not everyone has that like ability to just when people have been doing tastings with me or winemakers or, um, you know, importers of wine, they'll use like terms to describe the wine. I'm like, okay, yes, okay, I can identify that, you know, like peppercorns, you know, or like, mm. um, oh, this wine's quite leathery or spicy or it's, you know, apricot pith driven and you hear all these terms and then when you start to, then you have another wine that has that flavour, you like peppercorns, you know. Uh-huh. So it's 
it, it's hard and unless I'm lucky to have like been surrounded with those people who can re- describe mm-hmm. really well yeah. those those profiles to have that and I guess the only yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard. I don't know how you would do it as, an, like, no. as a, a, a wine drinker. Yeah. One that's, that's really obvious is that Chardonnays are buttery, which is good. You said before um, you felt like one orange wine was chewy. Like it's, try, it's trying to imagine like how that, like buttery I get um, and peppercorns and, yeah. then it, and then you kind of just lose me with the... <laughs> Fruity notes and the, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you just, I guess now you just have to go and do your homework. I and think then like it every time is. you have a bowl of wine, yeah. like try and like think about what you're tasting. Exactly. Because I think yeah. also like a lot of, I don't want to like generalize here, but we do have like a culture of like binge drinking and yeah. just drinking, and just drinking wine. So you're not actually. Like some people do enjoy it and they think about it or whatever, but other people are just smashing it. So you're not really. Yeah, you're not thinking about it. Yeah. I guess the other thing is if you buy a bottle and you're really enjoying it, you should turn it over and it would probably tell you what notes yeah. are in there. Potentially, yeah. And it's good when they do that because they're. Not always. Yeah. Not always, but <laughs> no. it's great when they do that because they're often so on the mark about yeah. how, how it tastes. Yeah. I guess they describe their own wine in a way that maybe you could then translate to a sum if you're ordering a wine yeah exactly exactly. and like a lot of the new age wine stores like a lot of people selling natural wine the way they describe they will use really clear ways to describe it so if you have a wine at a restaurant that you really like you know look it up and like see how someone else has described Mm -hmm. it and see if you can resonate with those terms yeah um yeah i think it's really like a buttery shot i mean a chardonnay should always be buttery but that is a characteristic that you may characteristic that you may notice um, if you have a wine that you like, it's super like crisp, mm. that might be like acid heavy. So you may like, you may prefer more acidic wines mm-hmm. than, you know, less acidic wines, which may be less structured and more just like fruity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, like there's, there's different ways to describe, like if, if you just like really easily drinkable wines, like the wines that you don't notice you're drinking, just taste nice, like a light fruitness their, you know, medium crispness and just go down really easily. And you just say to someone like, I want a drinkable, like, can you give me a really drinkable white or a really drinkable red? And that should, that should help them understand it. Cause it should yeah. be something that's light and easy and, mm-hmm. you know, not head like just, there's just some really basic characteristics that can help. Yeah. It can, it can vary. Like you can, you can get it. And sometimes it's hard for me to pick up. There could be a super acidic wine that's easy to drink. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and but just, that you depends don't on your own, pro- like, like, like your taste. It honestly too. even just depends on that day. Like, yeah. But acid isn't, yeah, acid isn't like, acid shouldn't be like, like a smack in the face. A strong note. Yeah, yeah. It shouldn't be like when people think acid, like, oh no, I don't like acidic wines because they think of a bad, a right. wine they've had that might be super volatile and they've got to like, I don't know how it describes, it's a very, mm. just shock in the mouth. It's like, mm. wow. And it like, you know, can like doesn't nicely suck in your cheeks. Um, whereas I think wine, there are wines with high acid levels that you don't notice. So it's really subtle. It just brings this level of fresh freshness to the wine. Mm-hmm. That um, So, yeah, I think there's this common misconception of like acid-driven acid wines. wines yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned before that acidic wine is, goes well with oily food to cut through. Yes. Yeah. So what are some other general 
pairing notes. I'm not great. With pairing with pairing wines. them with food? I have to do like a lot of research. If I'm doing like we're doing a recipe with a chef or something and picking the wines, I have to do like a lot of research into what people have said um, pairs well with a certain recipe, which I think is the most important thing. It, it's balancing. It, essentially, I think a sommelier would tell you it's about balancing the flavours in your mouth or like what you're eating against what you're drinking. So, yeah, acidic wines with really rich food to cut through the oils and fats. It's like a palate cleanser. Mm, yeah. And, you know, like the Japanese are really good at doing that by like serving ginger with their um, sashimi or with a certain dish, which is meant to cut through everything once you've done with the dish, a bit of a palate cleanser. And that what that's what a wine should do whilst you're also enjoying it. So, you know, if, you, if you're cooking like a meat-based, a really like winter heavy meat-based dish, you might want to pair that with like, not a not a heavy red, but a red that's like like quite leathery and like spicy because it balances the like the I wasn't gonna say like that umami flavor of meat, which is that like really subtle but super powerful flavor. Mm. Whereas something spicy and leathery is like quite contrasting mm. to that and is quite refreshing to have in your mouth while yeah. you're while you're drinking them. Mm-hmm. While you're eating that food, I should say. Mm-hmm. So I mean yeah, like the basics. There's some. There's some. There's heaps of like websites and things out there that have like basic pairing of wines, and they generally hold true to all wines, whether they're natural or mm. conventional. Some menus even um, tell you like pairs well with fish, or yeah. So maybe we go. Off yeah, that. I mean, you can have light reds. <laughs> I, there is this like common thought that like rich should, should have whites with fish yeah. and pasta yeah but there are some so. like red really like light light reds that go well with fish you know yeah. certain styles of um certain like pinot noir goes really well with a fish so there are like and rest but restaurants do some, like recommend the best things often because they'll have a sommelier but you can like if you're having a fish dish don't be afraid to like have a really light red and experiment yeah. what that tastes like because it can be like refreshing uh, to what you're eating and I guess it, it also depends like how the dish is cooked yeah mm. are you like super thirsty right now for wine yeah I've been super thirsty <laughs> for quite a while oh, <laughs> we've been speaking about like we've accidentally most episodes talk about wine I'm like just stop talking <laughs> <laughs> which makes me sound like an alco but yeah. I do miss the taste of it in my mouth um okay on that note what are you currently drinking what am I currently drinking? Um, that's I, that's a hard one. Everyone just asks it. <laughs> Everything. Yeah. Uh, this week there was a lot of new wines that arrived that I was lucky enough to taste. Um, Naringa, um, oh, who are a vineyard in um, Erin and Janet Klein in Mount Barker in South Australia. And we've never sold their wines before, even though I've loved them. Um, and they've just like rebranded and done a new release mm. of both entry level and um, higher end wines, and their wines are beautiful, like so well made. And they've been—they're one of the oldest. I don't know if they're the actual oldest, but one of the oldest biodynamic yeah, farms in Australia. I met him because I went to the Jolique farm, so that's his that's, parent. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. And then when they got their new farm, they gave him their old farm. Yep. And now he's winemaking. So you met Aaron. Yeah, Yeah. he came to like one of the lunches that they did and um, I've got like everyone like in the 
these magnets. Do you like them? They're really yeah, awesome. and I gave me one of the really old um, Pinot Noirs, I think, and it was amazing. Oh. I don't know if they still sell it um, or if they were just getting rid of it for some reason. But, yeah, he was really, really cool. Amazing. Yeah, they're really, like, I mean, they were Rudolf Steiner school educated. So Rudolf Steiner was, like, the father of biodynamics yeah, in like insane. in like the 1940s even in Germany. So they were educated in biodynamic farming and they've got like sheep and cows and everything on the cattle, which you probably saw, that like are raised in, in a biodynamic um, manner in wow. the field. And that the new release is just so lovely. Like it's nothing like it's not funky. It's not like it's just really good quality, clean mm nice wines is that like a good starting point for people if they're unsure about definitely and if, if they want if like they want to take part in like support well-farmed um grapes and well-farmed and well brought brought into the world wines then there are wines out there that have really strong characteristics of conventional wines that you might may like mm-hmm. um like a really good pinot a syrah or a chardonnay and they like they are the wines they're producing that have beautiful characteristics of both those varieties but also the place that that they're in at the moment and they're not gonna they're not gonna you know you could serve it to your your parents and yeah. they would mm. love it That's so yeah it's not gonna shock there are wines natural wines out there you can support it and not shock people mm, because they're yeah. too too you know esoteric or like avant-garde or yeah yes yeah. i find people do um and not to stereotype the older generation do tend to just steer away from the young, new kind of way of, even though it's not even new because we classified today that the practices and the makings are so old. Exactly. I think, I think yeah, somewhere, exactly, somewhere along, and this is important and it's, to, like, educate. to educate yeah. like, older people who are like, oh, this is just a trendy thing. And it's like, well, yeah. actually, you know, we just, it's just progressing wine in the same direction that we're progressing food. Mm. It's like we want, we don't want things that are mass produced because, if you start mass producing things, you have everyone's spraying them with pesticides, and yeah. you know, we've got, like we've got things that are now like all throughout the food chain because of wheat that's sprayed with um, glyphosate or like pesticides, and it and it's in everything we touch and mm. eat. And so the the point of it is to like support you know well farmed things, and mm. it's not not about like making it taste a certain way or making it funky or trendy or whatever. It's just about yeah drawing attention to like the food chain. Yeah, yeah they're not trying to reinvent the wheel and make a, a whole new kind of wine. No, yeah. So people like me, what if you're doing Dry July or you're ending ISO by cleaning up your diet, not drinking, or you're pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? What do you do? Um, well, there's a, like the non-alcoholic category is like exploding, and I can't even keep up with it. Like I can't. Like a friend who's a sommelier, Esther, texted me the other day. He's like, oh, "I've got this new that I don't have," but he's like, "I'm labeling this new non-alcoholic beverage that's made with like all these native like herbs and things from Australia." And I was like, "Well, wow. so the, like it's a huge exploding category." Yeah. There's like non-alcoholic um, spirits that you can get. There's um, wine uh, there's not wine, non-alcoholic wines like the non guys down in melbourne who are playing around with fruits and spices and you know salts and things like that to make these like what they call non-alcoholic beverages that are made to pair with food mm. so there's so many options now to like yeah they're not just a wine. grape juice 
No, they're not just a grape juice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're made with like the non stuff is made with a little bit of the juice, but they're just there's some super like fun stuff that you can have to go yeah. through yeah yeah i've been drinking the non ones oh, yeah. they're really really nice yeah we had it the other night we had like a dinner party and it just tasted like you were drinking yeah wine, wine yeah 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 mm. the flavors are so nice which is great um, you're now go like <laughs> yeah just lay off um what about your collaboration strange love oh yeah so if we decided or i decided in may that um, July, July is a good time for a wine company to support sustainable drinking habits and not only just be sustainable about like how a great, how a wine is brought into the world, but also how we manage ourselves, you know, moderate ourselves. And so we, so we reached out to Strange Love and we're doing a little, we're doing a dry-ish July pack, which is like two wines and a couple of um, of their locale sodas, which are super nice. And it's just something fun to do. Um, we've also got like a full dried July pack, which is um, a couple of nons, a couple of strange loves and some PS sodas, which are really nice. Um, they're good mixes if you have people who are drinking spirits, but if you're not drinking, mm. they're just nice to, to have around. Mm. And we're donating all um, proceeds from non-alcoholic sales Profits from those sales, so proceeds from those sales in July to the Dry July Foundation. Right. Um, and the message is like, you can drink moderately, you know, because I think during, especially at this time, COVID, a lot of people have turned to drinking yes. as as a thing to do. Yeah. And whilst, and it's it's not not the healthiest option, especially when there's so much stress and pressure around you at that time. Like mm. drinking should not be used as a relief like a release from that drinking should be used as something to be enjoyed and to be appreciated and that's what we want to support is like sustainable drinking yeah Mm, i love that yeah it's great um okay going back to drinking though um (laughs) is there like currently something or a brand um that's a bestseller for us wow um i haven't really looked into yeah i think like a repeat we've got a couple we've got a couple of brands that are really popular and i think that's testament to the wines themselves and we're really really lucky to be able to sell those wines um so joma joma j-a-u-m-a james you may have noticed if i pulled up bottle you notice james erskine lives in the adelaide hills makes and works with a with various vineyards around there um and a viticulturist who is like incredible at managing the vineyards that she does, her name's Fiona Wood, and they work hand in hand and they just produce the nicest. Like they're, they're really easygoing, light. They're nothing serious and bold and whatever. They're just fun, easygoing wines. And he doesn't use any sulfur. They're all organically grown at least. Doesn't touch them during the process and just produces these like exceptional wines. And I think they're, they're one of our best sellers and they should be because I, they're one of my favorites as well. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Great. Something I wanted to ask is, um, is drinking seasonal? Like are there wines for summer, autumn, winter, spring? Like we, you mentioned before there's park wines that you can drink on like a, a sunny day. But are wines made that way? No, I don't, I, no, I don't think wines are, yeah, no. A winemaker should definitely not be 
trying to make a wine for the occasion. I'm not making a wine for a park. For, yeah, or like, oh, yeah, I want a party wine. Like, I don't, I think, I don't think it's the right way to go about making wine. But, there, like, there are styles that inadvertently suit certain, might suit certain occasions better than others. Yeah, so like a hot day maybe. Yeah, hot day. So you want, like, like a chilled red. So, you know, chilled reds are really popular and it might be like an autumn or a spring day that's quite warm, you know, and you don't want to white but you want something a bit more interesting, a bit more like fruit forward, use the term so much. So like chilled reds are really popular at the moment and you can drink them all through summer because they'll often be light and not like a normal, not like a heavier, bold, structured red. Um, sparkling like bubbles like pet nuts or if you just want, you know, white, they don't have to be pet nuts. They can just be sparkling wines, good for like gatherings and like, you know, something like if you're having like a prease sort of, with some cheese and stuff, they're good at that because they're often like sparkling, so that real like palate cleansing, uplifting sort of feel to it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just look for like wines that are like really light, so you can you can find wines that are like ten and a half percent, like or eleven percent alcohol that are really easy to drink and chill really nicely. And it's all like I've had wines that are of that nature that taste like tea leaves or like. Mm really light citrus and they're the they're the things you should look for when you're like and it's it's it, it's just coming back to like i think common sense around when you're like hot day you want something light refreshing, refreshing seamless yeah. when it's like colder cooler you want something a bit more interesting because Comfort. comforting mm. like soul warming that kind of thing yeah mm. um i want to ask you when it comes to like serving is there any tricks or is it fine to just pull it straight from the fridge? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a good question. The I think people can serve their wines too chill. Mm-hmm. And I think fridges can be too cold. I know my fridge is too cold. It's like eight degrees or something. And so when I pull a wine out, I'll let it sit for 10 minutes. Okay. Right. Because um, I know it's too cold. And if, if you overchill a wine, you lose a lot of its um, its profile. It's like aromas and flavour. And it can just become like, if you've got a cheap wine that you know you don't like or that's not good, then yeah, chill, chill it, as, it. As, as like much as you can so then it. you don't notice chill the flavour. Kill it. <laughs> chill it. Kill it. But I mean, I advise to not buying wines that you don't like. Um, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, that is, a try, is something we try and do is like, and we often can forget to do is like on the description say, okay, serve at like in between children room temperature is mm-hmm. like or pull out of the fridge 10 minutes before serving yeah. i think that's really important but yeah well the, the tip i can say is don't over chill the wine okay and there are a lot of light reds that you can chill lightly in that manner and that can lift them a little bit mm-hmm. um especially if you're serving you might be serving like a lighter dish not a heavy addition you want something a bit cool mm-hmm. you can you can play around with like chilling some lighter reds mm, i can honestly say i've never had a chilled red really yep well um, something for Post, Something for post. Post, post birth. Lots to look forward to. You'll need. Post <laughs> Thank you. Um, um, is there a wine that you're super excited about that might be a little bit left of field? I think there's, like, I, there are some wines that we can stock that are a bit left of field. Maybe you know, in the orange category, mm. that might be a bit left of some of the wines, and there might be a bit left of field. But some things that nice things that people may have not tried and I don't think they're left to feel they just might be not commonly purchased um styles by some people or things like Lambrusco Lambrusco 
So Lambrusco is this like Italian red variety. And now people, a lot of winemakers are making them into like light sparklings. Oh. So it's like a sparkling, light, chill red. Mm. And we've got a Lambrusco at the moment that might be a left of field from what people are used to, but super nice and super like refreshing to have such a like different style of wine presented yeah. to you. Um, there's not one in particular I can think of. Well, the Lambrusco I'm thinking of is by Cinque Campi. But, um, it's Italian Italian winemaker. I mean, you can jump if you jump on the site. We've got a category called Funky. Oh, um, fun! So maybe filter by that, and yeah. there might be some things that stretch. stretch. Funky is essentially left of field. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have one last question. What is like? What do your friends always ask you about wine? Uh, I, I think like a lot of friends still ask about like. What, like yeah, why is what's an orange wine? I think no matter how many how many times you tell someone, they can <laughs> still forget it and yeah. just be like, oh, what what makes it orange again? Or like, the but maybe the most common question I get asked is, why do I like this wine? Okay, like tell me, oh, Elliot, I really yeah. like this wine. Why do I like it? Like, what is it about it? And I'm like, okay, maybe you like this component of it, and try and like break it down for them. And like, yeah, that's right. I like, you know, and that that comes back to the question you asked earlier. It's like, how do I finding out what I know I like and yeah. then I can, can like tell others about that and mm. well I think that's it thank cool. you Elliot is, is no there anything you want to add no no that no, we no, didn't no. cover okay, no cool. thanks for having me on no thank you thank for coming you. on